Chapter Forty Three of A Book of Discovery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Discovery by M. B. Singh. Chapter Forty Three. Dampier discovers his strait. It was not long before the great stretch of coastline, carefully charted by Tasman, became known to the English, and while the Dutch were yet busy exploring farther, Dampier, the first Englishman to visit the country, had already set foot on its shores. We lie entirely at the mercy of the Dutch East India Company's geography for the outline of this part of the coast of New Holland, for it does not appear that the ships of any other nation have even approached it, says an old history of the period. Some such information as this became known in South America, in which country the English had long been harassing the Spaniards. It reached the ears of one William Dampier, a Somersetshire man, who had lived a life of romance and adventure with the buccaneers, pillaging and plundering foreign ships in these remote regions of the earth. He had run across the southern Pacific, carrying his life in his hand. He had marched across the Isthmus of Panama, one hundred and ten miles in twenty-three days, through deep and swiftly flowing rivers, dense growth of the tropical vegetation full of snakes, his only food being the flesh of monkeys. Such was the man who now took part in a privateering cruise under Captain Swan, bound for the East Indies. On 1st March, 1686, Swan and Dampier sailed away from the coast of Mexico on the voyage that led to Dampier's circumnavigation of the globe. For fifty days they sailed without sighting land, and when at last they found themselves off the island of Guam, they had only three days' food left, and the crews were busy plotting to kill Captain Swan and eat him, the other commanders sharing the same fate in turn. "'Ah, Dampier,' said Captain Swan, when he and all the men had refreshed themselves with food. You would have made but a poor meal. For Dampier was as lean as the captain was, fat and fleshy. Soon, however, fresh trouble arose among the men. Captain Swan lost his life, and Dampier on board the little Kignet sailed hurriedly for the Spice Islands. He was now on the Australian parallels, in the shadow of a world lying dark upon the face of the ocean. It was January 1688 when Dampier sighted the coast of New Holland, and anchored in a bay, which they named Kegnet Bay after their ship, somewhere off the northern coast of eastern Australia. Here, while the ship was undergoing repairs, Dampier makes his observations. New Holland, he tells us, is a very large tract of land. It is not yet determined whether it is an island or a main continent but I am certain that it joins neither to Africa, Asia, or America. The inhabitants of this country, he tells us, are the miserablest people in the world. They have no houses, but lie in the open air without any covering, the earth being their bed, and the heaven their canopy. Their food is a small sort of fish, which they catch at low tide, while the old people that are not able to stir abroad for by reason of their age and the tender infants wait their return, and what providence has bestowed on them, they presently boil on the coals, and eat it in a common. 
They are tall and thin, and of a very unpleasing aspect. Their hair is black, short and curled, like that of the Negroes of Guinea. This Englishman's first description of the Australian natives cannot fail to be interesting. After we had been here a little while, we closed some of the men, designing to have some service from them for it, but we found some wells of water here, and intended to carry two or three barrels of it aboard. But it being somewhat troublesome to carry to the canoes, we sought to have made these men to have carried it for us, and therefore we gave them some clothes, to one an old pair of breeches, to another a ragged shirt, to a third a jacket that was scarce worth opening. We put them on, thinking that this finery would have brought them to work heartily for us, and our water being filled in small, long barrels, about six gallons in each, we brought these our new servants to the wells, and put a barrel on each of their shoulders. But they stood like statues without motion, but grinned like so many monkeys staring one upon another. So we were forced to carry the water ourselves. They had soon had enough of the new country, weighed anchor and steered away to the north. Dampier returned to England, even a poorer man than he had left it twelve years before. After countless adventures and hard-breath escapes, after having sailed entirely round the world, he brought back with him nothing but one unhappy black man, Prince Jolly, whom he had bought for sixty dollars. He had hoped to recoup himself by showing the poor native with his rings and bracelets and painted skin, but he was in such need of money on landing that he gladly sold the poor black man on his arrival in the Thames. But Dampier had made himself a name as a successful traveller, and in 1699 he was appointed by the King William III to command the Roebuck, 290 tons, with a crew of 50 men, and provisions for 20 months. Leaving England in the middle of January, 1699, he sighted the west coast of New Holland towards the end of July, and anchored in a bay they called Shark's Bay, not far from the rocks, where the Batavia was wrecked with Captain Pelsart, in 1629. He gives us a graphic picture of this place, with its sweet-scented trees, its shrubs, gay as the rainbow, with blossoms and berries, its many-colored vegetation, its fragrant air and delicious soil. The men caught sharks and devoured them with relish, which speaks of scarce provisions. Inside one of the sharks, eleven feet long, they found a hippopotamus. The flesh of it was divided among my men, says the captain, and they took care that no waste should be made of it, but thought it, as things stood, good entertainment. As it had been with Pelsart, so now with Dampier, fresh water was the difficulty, and they sailed northeast in search of it. They fell in with a group of small rocky islands, still known as Dampier's Archipelago, one island of which they named Rosemary Island, because there grew here or two or three sorts of shrubs, one just like rosemary. Once again he comes across natives, very much the same blinking creatures, also abundance of the same kind of flesh-flies, teasing them, with the same black skins and hair frizzled. Indeed, he writes as though the whole country of New Holland was as savage and worthless land inhabited by dreadful monsters. If it were not, he writes, 
for that sort of pleasure which results from the discovery even of the barrenest spot upon the globe this coast of new holland would not have charmed me much his first sight of the kangaroo now the emblem of australia is interesting he describes it as a sort of raccoon different from that of the west indies chiefly as to the legs for these have very short forelegs but go jumping upon them as the others do and like them are very good meat this must have been the small kangaroo for the large kind was not found till later by captain cook in new south wales but dampier and his mates could not find fresh water and soon wearied off the coast of new holland an outbreak of scurvy too decided them to sail away in search of fresh foods dampier had spent five weeks cruising off the coast he had sailed along some nine hundred miles of the australian shore without making any startling discoveries a few months later the roebuck stood off the coast of new guinea a high and mountainous country green and beautiful with tropical vegetation and dark with forests and groves of tall and stately trees innumerable dusky-faced natives peeped at the ship from behind the rocks but they were not friendly and this they showed by climbing the coconut trees and throwing down coconuts at the english with passionate signs to them to depart but with plenty of fresh water this was unlikely and the crews rowed ashore killed and salted a good load of wild hogs while the savages still peeped at them from afar thus then they sailed on thinking they were still coasting new guinea so doing they arrived at the straits which still bear the name of the explorer and discovered a little island which he called new britain he had now been over fifteen months at sea and the roebuck was only provisioned for twenty months so dampier who never had the true spirit of the explorer in him left his discoveries and turned homewards the ship was rotten and it took three months to repair her at batavia before proceeding farther with pumps going night and day they made their way to the cape of good hope but off the island of ascension the roebuck went down carrying with her many of dampier's books and papers but though many of the papers were lost the learned and faithful dampier as he is called the prince of voyagers has left us accounts of his adventures and equalled in those sternest ocean-going days for their picturesque and graphic details End of chapter 43